Hi, and welcome to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> that takes in most of you once again we proudly present another wondrous episode of the beetle places podcast presented by local guys and lovable hosts mark and col the beetle places podcast is your regular slice of beetles miscellany celebrating the world's greatest band and all things liverpool hurrah hooray Another day, another dollop of Beetle Places chitty chat. <laughs> what is this stuff? And as usual, in each podcast, we'll enjoy an appreciation talking about the many places and the people the Beatles knew here in Liverpool and in their formative years and in the stories behind them, which we call Beetle Places. It's a fascinating history and it's our pleasure to tell it. Yes, it is. I think so. It is. Beetle Places is about the band and John and Paul, George and Ringo themselves. Don't forget. Don't forget Pete. Oh, I Pete as well. We want Pete. I've shaken his hand, you know. Uh, Where they lived, loved, lost, played, dreamed and lots more besides. It's also the name of Cole's excellent first class, well done book. Available at all reputable fishmongers <laughs> and her salons. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. They're not, are they? The, um, well, somebody was selling it. Um, and uh, and I also came out to the place with two haddock. So uh, well it must done. have been. Oh. So, like every good book, let's begin at the beginning and enjoy today's episode of the Beetle Places podcast live from Liverpool. After all, this is where it all began. And a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Uh, so, uh, intros, I'm Colin Gardner, and him over there is... Mark Glenister. Ooh. Hello there, mate. Hello there, mate, as hello, well. Hello, hello. Hello, And uh, Beatles fans, hello everybody out there as well, <laughs> outside of Cole's front parlour. That's where we are. I'm Mark. Hello, listeners everywhere. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be anywhere, really. Welcome, one and all, to the Beatles podcast. Let's go. So don't forget, we have an episode with regular features, and in this episode, we're going to look at the Beetle Places trivia quiz. Let's tempt you with some teasing questions, courtesy of Mark and his brain. Mm-hmm. We've got the Beatles album guide to the Fab Four, so we can look at another album of theirs with a mixture of quotes and many, many little features. Mark will be doing the month this month in Beatles history. And there'll also be the feature of the Beatles book review, looking at one or two worthwhile, maybe not so worthwhile reads. And of course, we'll have a special feature or two. This time, girlfriends and girlfriends of the Beatles. Because there was loads, there was a few. Oh, right. A lot you don't know about (laughs) as well, probably. (laughs) So on with the motley. So this is it. Let's begin our Beatles trivia quiz. Uh, uh, And it's Q Mark. Thank you. Excellent. Right, here we go. I'm going to ask you three questions and I'll give you the uh, answers a bit later on. But uh, I'll, I'll give the questions again a bit later on, just to remind you to get your brains working. So uh, here we go. Here's the first one. Right. On the, yeah, on the White Album, mm. which is not really the White Album, it's just the Beatles. 
there's a track called Savoy Truffle by George Harrison. Mm. It's about a box of uh, good news chocolates, which uh, you don't get anymore now. Oh, no. Most are pissy. Most are pissy. Now, George took most of the lyrics from the names of the chocolates. What I want to know is, who owned that box of chocolates <laughs> that he uh, got the lyrics from? Mm. All right, that's question number one. Uh, question number two, on the Sergeant, on Sergeant Pepper, there's a track called She's Leaving Home by Paul. And it's about a girl running away from home. Lots of strings and stuff like that. And it's a true story, or it's based on a true story, published in the Daily Mirror on the 27th of February, 1967. And what I would like to know mm. is what's the real girl's name in that song? It's not mentioned in the song, but... Um, the actual true story, what is the name of the girl hmm. in that story? Not Gertrude, is it? I seem to, seem to think Gertrude's in Gertie, head. no. Gertie's, Gertie's leaving home. Trudy, no, doesn't, nothing. No. 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 Okay. It doesn't no. rhyme anyway, doesn't it? It doesn't. No. What a load of rubbish. Right. Uh, right, question number three. In West Kirby, on the Wirral, hmm. the Beatles played their first and only visit to the Beatles Club at McDonough Hall on Banks Road, which is uh, a fa uh, which did also had a cafe called the Thistle Cafe. It's been since then. It's been numerous restaurants oh, and stuff it. like yeah, that. We've been there a few times, haven't we? And it's been rumoured that John Lennon did not appear that first night that they played the Beatles Club. And I want to, what I want to know is, it's rumoured, who stood in for him that night. Not exactly 100% that John Lennon didn't appear, but there's a big rumour around that he didn't come that night. But who stood in for John Lennon on uh, the Beatles Club, the first and only visit to McDonough Hall, otherwise known as the Thistle Cafe in West Kirby? Okie dokie. Yeah, yeah. I know the place. Um, um, we've been there. I've eaten there a few times, haven't we? It used to be a... It wasn't the pancake kitchen, was it? It was, it was up the road a bit. No, it, it, was, was, it was a burger place or something. Scogamiglio's like Yeah, well. it's an Italian restaurant now. It's, yes, it changes yeah. changes ownership every couple of weeks, it's, I it's think. It's like a, like a bus... Uh, it's but, uh, <laughs> like a bus sign just keeps changing. Yeah, but... Uh, Cheers. Uh, it was uh, quite a... Well, quite a few groups... Used to play there as well. Did, yeah. Uh, well, upstairs as yeah. well. Uh, you know, cheers, Mark. There's some uh, half decent questions in there. Uh, let's let's uh, consider them. Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. Serious radio broadcasting. Right. Let's see who can get them. And meanwhile, it's over to Col for our next feature, the Beetle Places album guide. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. Um, yeah, once again, time to look at one of the Beatles' uh, albums. They're all great. But uh, let's look at the second one. And, uh, of course, the second album that they ever released was with the Beatles. So here's some interesting facts about that particular thing. It was recorded between 18th of July, 1963, and September the 12th, 1963 because it was released uh, in live for the Christmas market in November 22nd, 1963. And of course, quite naturally, quite naturally, it reached number one in the UK charts in, in hardly any time at all. So the tracks you've, uh, you may be familiar with, but I'll repeat them anyway if, you're one of those, if you want to know what the tracks are in my old vinyl vernacular. Side one, because it used to be sides to records, it won't be long, 
all I've got to do, all my loving, don't bother me, little child, till there was you, and please, Mr. Postman. You pick it up, you flip it over, side two, roll over Beethoven, hold me tight, you've really got a hold, you've really got a hold on me. I want to be your man, devil in air heart, not a second time. Money, brackets, that's what I want, close brackets. So the longest track on there was Money, and the shortest track was Little Child, and there was nothing longer than 2 minutes 47 seconds, which is pretty short. Yeah, and the sequencing of the record tracks, uh, it reminds me quite a lot of the first album because it starts with a rocker and ends with one. And a lot of the songs were part of the band's repertoire anyway, so they probably didn't have much of a struggle performing them. It was just a case of getting the time to do it. So I could see there were busy people at the time when Beatlemania in the UK was beginning and it was just on the verge of happening in the US. But uh, blimey. 1963, of course, was their, was their big year in the UK and due to the demand on the group, to at least uh, turn up and appear. They, they had lots of other arrangements and things to do because they had alarmingly little material uh, when they turned up to record records and they did a few covers to simply just fill in the... not fill as so much, but um, great songs which they had available that they could play kind of quickly um, and they were kind of shy on the old original material. You know, what you can see though, there is a... if you look at the... So track listing. There's a Ringo one and there's a George composition on there. So that's impressive enough just to show second album. That's not bad going considering Tin Pan Alley was still in its throes and uh, people were demanding that certain records were played and uh, artists hardly ever got a chance to self-compose their records for recording. Uh, just to show how frantic it was, on a typical day that they were recording, let's say it was July the 30th because I've locked this up, the band did a recording session between 10 and half one at EMI. Then they nipped over to the BBC, probably probably the Paris studio, I think, Mark, somewhere mm, like Maybe, that. maybe. And they recorded two radio shows and sang six songs there. And then they went back to EMI for an evening, evening slot, about five-ish, uh, which ran until about 10 to record a few more tracks and do a few more things. I, I, I just don't know how they got the shopping and cleaning done. And uh, how did they eat? Eating on the go as well, I suppose. Oh, so sandwiches. A pork pie in between tracks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the release date here is notable because it was the same day John F. Kennedy was unfortunately assassinated in Dallas. Um, what you may, may very well know already uh, is that famous second album cover, which is the half-shadow portrait of the band. It's very iconic. It was one of them flukes, really, because they were down in Bournemouth in a place called the Palace Court Hotel performing, of course, doing gigs. And uh, a fella called Robert Freeman, who was a frequent Beatles photographer, came along, did a, did a quick session to create a cover. And he found that uh, the hotel curtains and the broad sunlight from the window somehow gave them an enhanced quality with their dark clothing. And, uh, and, and also, what was very strange is, if you'll notice, they don't smile. There's no smiling. Um, they did bother EMI and Brian Epstein uh, at the time because typically albums were full of very jolly people smiling, a lot of teeth. Nobody smiles on an album cover now. And now really. it's oh, it's got it's, it's a must. You yeah. know, you just got got not to. Any group photographs you see of bands now that that they, they don't smile, they just stood there looking well, dark it, and mysterious. It, it's to be enigmatic. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. But um, the Beatles were one of the first to do it. So uh, George Martin apparently um, gave a convincing argument as to why the picture looked so good, because um, it kind of it looked like they were serious as musicians, and it certainly seems that way. 
But uh, I'm sure the sale of Poland X at Marks and Spencers went right through the roof after that. So um, as far as I'm concerned, it's a winner. Now, to me, it's a very good second album. It's a brilliant album, just considering the way they had to make it. And um, I do go back and listen to it just to see what I like. Uh, it might change because I always change my favourite Beatles tracks uh, now and again. And I've always liked Roll Over Beethoven, but the, the devil in her heart is just great. It's full of harmonies. I like... Uh, um... I like All My Loving. Oh, well. Yeah. Straight off. Yeah. I love singing along to that one. And um, uh, You Really Got a Hold on Me. I, I like Smoke, that one yeah. as well. Well, Smokey yeah. Robinson um, was certainly um, there as an influence all the time. I think George, independently, when he was solo, he uh, he uh, certainly <coughs> always referred back to Smokey Robinson Records and, and he created a track called uh, Pure Smokey, I think it was called, yeah. way in the future. But um, it did expand them as musicians because mm. what they created was fantastic. And you just imagine that album now uh, coming out. But that's it. That's the album. Second album, Beatles, 1963, with the Beatles, and it's still fab. So um, that's it. Now, now it's over to Horatio Bornhowler, more commonly known as Mark Lenister, And he's going to do another one of our Beatles Places podcast regular features this month in Beatles history. I certainly am. Right. <laughs> in the last podcast, we did uh, 1963 and 1966. And this year... Well, this episode, I mean, advancing a little bit, we're going to 1964 and 1968. Uh, so, cast your mind back to 1964. Were you born then? I was. I was around. Mm. Uh, how about July the 15th? I remember nothing. No, neither do I. <laughs> no. Uh, so, on July the 15th, 1964, John and Cynthia bought Kenwood. In St George's Hill, Surrey, the house for twenty thousand pounds, and it's like a mansion when you look at it. The yeah. pictures of it now, big grounds, huge place and for twenty thousand pounds. Mm, yeah, but that's what it was worth. Uh, right now, yeah. it's worth twenty thousand pounds in more modern money. Quite a few million, uh, I, would, I would say. Yeah. yeah, and don't forget Kenwood, Mark. Kenwood. Kenwood. Ah, uh, Woody. He was the I inventor of the Kenwood mixer. Was he? He invented domestic appliances. And that was where he lived. And that's and he could afford that, and he sold it to John Lennon. How's about that? Well, you can't mix that up. <coughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, well. uh, right, 1968 we go to now, and uh, July the 30th. So we're, we're gone on four years now, so times have changed. Hair's got longer. <laughs> Drugs about and stuff like that. And uh, Hey Jude was getting prepared for final recording. On uh, July the 30th, the Apple Boutique closed down that yeah. day and uh, it wasn't making any money. That's right. People were in and out with clothes, yeah, stealing I think, stuff. I think the Beatles had a giveaway, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Paul said uh, on the day that uh, it closed down, they all went along and picked something and uh, he got a smashing overcoat. <laughs> That's what it says. So <laughs> Nowadays, eBay. The shop was emptied completely. Uh, and everybody got something from it, but uh, it didn't make any money because uh, 
thefts mainly. Uh, the whole what, lot went. Oh, it was what we call a folly, I suppose, in a manner yeah. of speaking, a folly. Yeah. It was well, worth uh, trying, I suppose. Yeah, it was like, a bit of fun. Yeah, the Beatles but, experimented uh, and they did that with retail and electronics and songs and uh, they, they, that's just them to a T, so, uh, right. Wow. So, that's, what, that's 1964 and 1968. Thank you very so, much. There you go. Well, there's Mark with the This Month in Beatles History. He'll be back in minutes. Okay, we're going to cover another feature now, which I'm going to do, and then Mark will chip in with his little bit. And we're going to do the Beatles book review. So let's settle down ourselves with a good book. Are you in the bath? Are you relaxing? Are you jogging? Not a good time to read a book. But does anyone ever settle down with a bad book? So there's your question. Many times. <laughs> well, you only find that out at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was terrible. Um, so this feature is called the Beatles book review it does what it says on the tin and each podcast we're going to feature one or two worthwhile tomes novels pamphlets leaflets a we'll pamphlet? see about the Beatles <laughs> and let's let's be the judge of them so this week I'm going to look at and this time I'm going to look at a lovely book it was a Christmas gift but didn't see it coming never heard of it before and it's called The Beatles what else Mad Day Out. It's written by a fellow called Tom Murray, who was a, let's call him a hip photographer. Uh, he didn't do medical stuff. I'm talking like he was kind of a trendy guy at the time uh, when the Beatles were about. And on a particular day, uh, when the Beatles were free in 1968, have I got that year right, Mark? I think it was 1968, the Mad Day Out. I think so. Yeah. The Beatles were available for a photographic session. And they went around about the town, as they say. So they went all over the shop and Tom Murray took photographs of them. And you've seen a few of them because they appear in various albums, uh, standing by sort of, uh, iron railings. And also so John in his glasses, Paul in his pink suit, George in his stripy kecks, trousers to you and me. John in his uh, sort of, uh, not, not so much a fair coat, more of a fair waistcoat kind of a thing, and of course Ringo being Ringo. Um, it's tremendous. It's a very, very good photo appreciation of that day out, with a little bit of back history from Tom Murray, because he revisits all the old sites he went to, and that includes when the Beatles were stood in the sort of begonias and, and pictures, uh, a garden garden section of St Pancras Church and I'll tell you why I'm interested in that because I was doing the family trees of John Lennon and I realised he had a, a great uncle um, called William George Lennon and William George Lennon was actually the Reverend William George Lennon. He became a priest, ordained priest, proper one and he operated a church in a place called Southport in North Liverpool way. And he, uh, unfortunately, seemed to have had a bad time later in life. And he took ill and he was uh, infirm and a few other problems to do with drink, possibly, and a few other issues. I don't know about them entirely that I can mention over the <coughs> podcast. But he was taken and cared for in St Pancras Church, which was also a kind of a hospital, a recovery kind of thing. A lot of detail of this is covered in my little book, uh, which I'll mention another time. But, um, yeah, and funnily enough, by coincidence, the Beatles were stood in front of it. 
they were unaware that uh, John's great uncle William George was there and uh, William George was never aware of it at all because he died about 1921. Oh well. <laughs> but uh, what I like about the um, the Mad Day Out book is it's all the pictures, not just the select few that uh, we're aware of. It's all of them. And as you can see, there's pictures of uh, John Lennon pretending to be dead. And uh -huh. they do various things with uh, swapping the clothes around and acting the ghost, as we might say around here. But um, it does kind of give you an, an idea of their playfulness and when they're allowed to do what they feel like not confined to a studio not confined to press release they just had a good day out nice colour photographs and I, really? I love the quality of yeah. it the, the books are good quality like photographic type of book should be nice hardback book um, and this guy you know he certainly looks a little bit older now but um, my, my god he was a kind of a what a, wow. a hip-looking photographer guy what a cool guy yeah he's kind of had the right haircut pole and neck you know yeah. Day glow, uh, day glow jackets and corduroy everywhere. It was that time it went on. And it's called A Mad Day Out. And I just wanted to mention it. It's not full of detail in terms of facts and whatnots about the Beatles, but it's, it's kind of a, a reminder that um, they were great. And they had fun. And this is them having fun. One day in particular, in 1968. It's called The Beatles' Tom Murray's Mad Day Out, which is just out. I couldn't tell you which it's published by. I think it's Corinthian. Oh. One of those people. Yep. But anyway, a worthy, a worthy buy if you're thinking about it. I, I am I, thinking about it. I'll buy one. And I was not paid to say that. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Super. Right. Is it my turn now? I'm afraid it's your turn. Right. Well, I'm going to review a book. It's quite a big book, really. There's about 320 pages on it. And it's called The Beatles, A Diary. And uh, the band's... When you look at it, lasted just ten years, yeah. and they did so much in ten years. Uh, and it's written by a fellow called Barry Miles. Uh, he was a sort of a an intimate member of the Beatles' sixties circle. Uh, he arranged things. He did this, that, and the other. He he uh, introduced Paul McCartney to uh, William Burroughs and the Beat Poets and stuff like that. Uh, and he's done a diary of, sort of practically every day the Beatles. Um, the Beatles' life that they existed, really. Wow, I mean, that so, takes some work. Uh, every day that they did something, somebody's written something down, they've taken a photograph. Uh, That's gigs. Screaming fans, and, gigs. And as the, the Silver Beatles, uh, with two E's and stuff like that. So, for instance, I just opened up the page here. Um, May the 29th, 1960. Uh, the Silver Beatles arrived back in Liverpool, tired, exhausted, and just as poor as the day they left, <laughs> but having clocked up their first road experience as a rock and roll band. Aye, they did. Uh, and they left the hotel in Scotland. They ran out without paying. <laughs> and uh, later on, the following month, they uh, they started uh, playing, well, a few places all over the place. Uh, the Institute in Neston which was uh, they did. a wild place. It was a notoriously rough venue. Uh, and then, well, a 16-year-old boy was nearly kicked to death there at one of their gigs. Uh, and then they went to the Grosvenor Ballroom in Liscard. It's even worse. Which is an even rougher place. <laughs> uh, and the, eventually the Beatles got chucked out of there and they went back to ordinary dance band music because um, 
Uh, <laughs> fight the every night. Well, that certainly quell the masses, wouldn't it? Uh, that was 1960s. So well, what, what I remember about that off. interesting fact you just put out: yeah. when they finished the Scottish tour yeah. with Johnny Gentle, wasn't it? <coughs> uh -huh. um, yeah. It was four days later they w played the Neston Institute gig, yeah. and that featured uh, appearance was was the first time the Beatles in print was printed ah. um, four days later after the Scottish tour so uh, that's the B-E-A-T proper Beatles. Beatles yeah so and yeah. all I know is John Lennon got given a copy of that newspaper yeah. it was uh, the Birkenhead News ah. and uh, he was given a copy by Millie Sutcliffe uh, uh, Stu's mum yeah. uh, a little while later when they were dead dead famous but uh, yeah, they played the Institute, Neston, the Grosvenor Ballroom, Liscard, all through 1960s in the summer. Uh, a lot of times they played there. And then further on in the book, say 1964, visiting, um, uh, well, Beatles wigs they, they had on. Picture of, of, of John Lennon with a Beatle wig on. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh and yeah, a yeah. Of, pair of glasses. He looks does, like a false nose. He as doesn't well. look right in that, does he? <laughs> uh, every day, there's little quotes as well. Um, so, for instance, somebody has said here a quote in uh, 1964. Mm. Why didn't you leave us alone? How would you like a, a microphone always stuck in your face when you're on holiday? Everywhere mm. you go, they mm. were pestered to death. Photographs. Every day, price no of fame. Where they went. Price of fame. Yeah, yeah. No wonder uh, you know, some of them went off the rails a little bit, <laughs> slightly. Uh, but there's lots of nice photographs it's, in here. Yeah, it's all great. Over the isn't world. It? I can see them. Yeah. No colour ones, but uh, all black and white, which adds a bit of a takes you back to the sixties, really, because not many colour photographs about. No, not uh, too many things. So, were. as I say, about three hundred and just over three hundred and ten pages in the book. Uh, so it's called. Beatles, the Beatles Diary. It's called The Beatles Diary by a fellow called Barry Miles. It's heavy and it cost me £25 when I bought it. <laughs> uh, I right, so was, we don't so usually consider books by their weight. But, I can um, recommend that. It's an intimate day-by-day -day history. It is. It's, it's excellent. I've seen him do some other stuff. He's an excellent archivist. He's uh, along the lines of Mark Lewison, who is the great and good. Uh, he's the best there is, Mark Lewison, but... Um, uh, Barry Miles, wow! Some um, of the stuff he's, he's retrieved there and put out there. Yeah, well done, you. And early in the, the front of the book, uh, there's a nice picture of Liverpool docks. And um, I'm trying to picture where that picture is. And that's where I used to work. Oh, that place, yeah. Uh, is that you at leaning out the window? Where you back? Oh, hello. Well, well. Of uh, <laughs> yeah. Jay Bibby and Sons. Oh, where crikey. I used to work. Okay. Mm. So there we go. That's the Beatles: A Diary by Barry Miles. And that is. The Beatles book review for this podcast. So that's what you're listening to. Mark's covered that book. I think it's a, a worthy, a worthy one as well. Thanks, Mark, very much. I think it's time now to go back to Mark, who's going to refresh everybody with the Beatles trivia questions. I am um, quick and dirty. Here we if you, go. If you quick want to get through. cracking, then we'll do the next feature. Question we're, number we're one is this. right. Are you ready? On the White Album, there's a track called Savoy Truffle by George Harrison. It's about a box of chocolates, good news chocolates, which you can't get anymore, unfortunately. Now, George took most of the lyrics from the names of the chocolates in the box. What I want to know is, who owned that particular box of chocolates? Mm. Any idea? Stop reading upside down. Yeah, right, you know now. <laughs> Question number two. On the Sgt Pepper album, 
there's a track called She's Leaving Home. It's about a girl running away from home. And it's based on a true story that was published in the Daily Mirror on uh, the 27th of February, 1967. And what I would like to know is the name of that girl who ran away from home. It's not in the lyrics of the song, because it's uh, just uh, based on a true story. But the true story has a real girl in it, obviously. Mm. What I want to know is, what is her name? She was only 17. Uh, finally, question number three. I know three. what you mean. Ah, very good, very good. In West Kirby on the Wirral, the Beatles played their first and only visit to the Beatles Club at McDonough Hall, otherwise known as the Thistle Cafe on mm. Banks Road. Now, it's rumoured that John Lennon did not appear that night. What I want to know is who, it's rumoured, stood in for him on that night. OK? Yeah. Any idea? Yeah. So that's question one, two and three of the Beatles quiz. What are the answers? Coming up later. The Beatle Places podcast with Mark and Carl. Noisy nonsense for 30 minutes on a low grill. Right. OK. Got that out the way. Here's Cole with our featured topic tonight. And it's taken from uh, the Beatle Places book, written by the man himself. <laughs> Thank you. Hey. And it's about the Beatles' girlfriends and the Beatles' girlfriends. Yeah, there's a difference, isn't there? There is. Yeah. Because there's a space between the words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well spotted. Over to you. Yeah, well, it helped that Mark type this. <laughs> um, so, um, thanks, mate. Here we go. Yeah, this is an interesting feature because we're all quite kind of aware, generally, when we read Beatle books of the famous girlfriends they had. Um, there's there's a dozen or so, because they dated a lot of girls, they were really popular. Can you imagine? Well, before they were Beatle famous, they were just Beatles, and they had lots of girlfriends and girl friends in Liverpool. So I'm going to mention a few of them. There's a lot, isn't there, Mark? Because I've done, I've done a lot. <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll paraphrase and get a few of them sort of mentioned, because you may, you may need to look them up. Okay, so there were some girlfriends, and there were some friends who were girls. Then somebody dated for a while, and some once or twice. So here's a few that deserve a mention, and you'll be surprised with one or two of them. Here we go. There was a lady called Pat Inder, I-N-D-E-R. She lived in a place called Granby Street, Liverpool 8. She was a bright, independent girl, and she, her parents were, uh, like, a, a Liverpool, her dad was a docker, her mother was a cook, and uh, she met John about 1958. Uh, it turns out she worked at the same time as George Harrison did in Blackler's department store when he was an apprentice electrician. So maybe they met that way, who can tell? So uh, it turns out... Uh, that uh, they became lovers around 1960 and it's been reported that uh, at one point John asked to marry her so how this conflicts with Cynthia and how he dealt with her is another matter I haven't kind of looked that up bit, uh, looked that bit up yet but later on she went off to work uh, as a nanny down in Surrey in the UK and at 24 she married an, uh, another rock star in fact a fellow called Lemmy Kilmister who's he? Well, he's the bass player from Motorhead. Sadly gone, but that's that's the fact of it. Now, she was a girlfriend. Now, there's a girl who was a friend, and that's Linda Steen. And she lived up in a place called Wavertree, which is Liverpool 15 area, in Blantyre Road. And I had, I had a girlfriend who lived in that road as well. Uh, Linda was best friends with Lindy Ness, who John knew from his Walton neighbourhood. 
and Lindy Ness was a young young girl by all accounts, uh, as was Linda Steen. And just because they both had the same name, Linda, Lindy, uh, John called them Lindy and Lou. And what they often did was they turned up for gigs and uh, Lindy Lou um, got on with John famously because he wrote to them a lot and he was very, very friendly. It was, not, uh, it was nothing more than friendship. But he'd give them gigs, uh, after gigs he'd give them lifts home and so, so on and so forth. And it was true that uh, Lin Linda and Lindy both went to see John and Paul composing records in uh, Fort Lynn Road. I think they did, I can't remember now, I think it was, uh, I saw a stand in there, they saw it and do things like that. Um, there was lots of other people, there was, uh, Ringo certainly had his share of girlfriends out in Liverpool. There was a girl called Paul Pat D Davies. She lived in Medlock Street in a place called Kirkdale, which, as it turns out, wasn't far from where Mo, uh, his girl, his later wife, came from. Oh, she came from there, did she? She came from oh, that yeah. area, a place called <coughs> Boundary Place. Oh, right. So, who else was there? Well, there was, um, interestingly, if I'm, trying, if I'm trying to be interesting... Tell me the story of Grace Pendleton. Okay. Go on, then. So, Grace, <clears throat> she turned... And I, liked it, I liked this little story. She was a girl who came from Finch Road in West Derby in Liverpool. And she was Paul's very first acknowledged girlfriend. She was a classmate. And uh, they met in the first junior school, Joseph Williams in Belvale. There's a bit of a distance there, but I don't know why um, she went from West Derby to Belvale. But that's just a local problem. So he famously recalled that when he went past when he went past her house, he, he saw her knickers drying on the washing line. And he told her so. And her typical Scouse reply was, they're well clean and well paid for which he always remembered, and he's often recited that. So the, the nice fact about that particular lady is he got his first kiss from a girl, and it was Grace Pendleton. Now, talking of uh, girlfriends, we've got another girlfriend who George knew, called Jennifer Brewer, and she didn't live local at all. She lived in Henley-on-Thames. So what's the story behind that? Well, George was only 12 when him and the family went down to South Devon for a holiday, quite a rare treat in post-war Britain, but they stayed on a campsite in Exmouth. Sandy Bay is the place if you want to Google it. So uh, there they became friendly with the Brewer family and there was a father Harvey, wife Lillian, daughters Anita and daughter Jennifer. Youngest daughter Jenny was born around 1943 and her and George and his brother Peter all became friends because they uh, kept in touch by, as pen pals. George's parents remained friends natural, naturally and, um, and Harvey and Lillian with George and Louise Harrison, they kept in touch and visited each other still. Um, it turns out Harvey came from Dorset which is south, south of England more or less. And the family itself, the Brewer family, lived in a place called Laundry Cottage, Binfield Heath, which was once like part of a huge estate owned on a place called Coppid Hall. I looked all this up, Mark. Uh, owned, <laughs> owned by the Fillimore family, i.e. the Baron of Shiplock uh, in Oxfordshire. And they own huge parts of London, uh, as well as further out in Henley-on-Thames. Remind yourself of that when I finish. Right, OK. Uh, um, so, um, of course, we've seen George with a... I've seen old pictures of George leaning against a car and on a beach as a young man with this girl, Jennifer Brewer. And it turns out that um, they didn't keep in touch forever because George became famous. 
but the captain in time, uh, kept in touch for at least until his teen years. Uh, in 1967, Jenny Brewer married, and she married a fellow called Butler, but they went to live in Henley-on-Thames. And it's, it's kind of a coincidence, but George, in 1971, he bought Friar Park in Henley-on-Thames, this time for £200,000. And that became his permanent home. So I, I often I often thought when I found this house that he can hardly be not reminded of Jenny as a boy. When uh, not Jenny as a boy, but uh, when Jenny and him I don't know uh, what you mean. knew each yeah. other, and uh, <laughs> when he visited the family down there years ago. So that's an interesting one. Ah, well, there you go. So I've got a. a let, let me mention um, uh, one or two. But there's lots of others. There's Sheila Martin. There's Bernadette Farrell, who uh, later became a person who ran the Beatles City Museum. Ah. She dated George and then set up a Beatles Museum. So she knows a lot if you ever you get a chance to meet her. And now she runs the Beatles story at the Albert Dock in Liverpool, if you did need to know. Um, the one I like was Celia Mortimer. Celia Mortimer. And she was a, a really good looking, uh, really good looking girl by by the photos I've seen anyway. And she lived as a student in flats in Huskisson Street, which is a famous student area in Liverpool and Liverpool Lake, and along Princess Avenue, which is uh, again Liverpool Lake territory, student type of flats and things like that. She went to Liverpool College of Art around 1961. So John had left by then, but um, she was studying to be a dress designer, and that's what they taught there. So she wasn't a very well-off student, but uh, she was local. I think she came from Ormskirk, but I've never quite pinned down where. Um, but what she did was she took up an offer of modelling um, for a local newspaper, the Daily Post and Echo. And she went to a photo shoot at a place called Andre Bernard. It sounds posh, doesn't oh, it? But it's where Mike McCartney, coincidentally, was working as an apprentice. Anyway, they, she got a free hairdo out of it. And on Apprentice Nights, she turned up and Mike McCartney did her hair. So, of course, they started to date. Now, the interesting thing here was Celia introduced Mike to her type of music. And through Mike, he told Paul. Um, what Celia did was she started playing Bob Dylan records, which was the first way and first time Paul got to hear Bob Dylan uh, that I know of. Um, underline. <laughs> but uh, uh, the thing was, uh, strangely, uh, she stopped dating Mike after a point in time and started dating Paul. And at one point, the, the Paul and her both went down to London to go and visit his mate, Ivan Vaughan, who was living down in Great Portland Street in London. And uh, in years, years later, um, it was known that um, she mentioned Paul was practising and rehearsing a new song he'd written called I Saw Her Standing There ah. to Celia. Um, and what I know is that she kept in touch and she was around and she was well known and she went to live in the very road where Ivan Vaughan uh, used to live and she stayed there and ran a fashion shop uh, of her own and as far as I know from the people I've been in touch with she lives in France now yeah mm. there you so go. that's Celia Mortimer interesting can, lady can you tell me about um, uh, Rita Harris oh well I can that's, yeah. that's quite uh, no, Rita Harris uh, uh, do you mind if I pre Precursor that with another go, woman called Sonia. Uh, go on then, go on. I'll tell you why, because Brian Epstein had some girlfriends too, and I mean girlfriends. Aye. Uh, what the first one that I found out about was Sonia Seligson. Um, she lived out in Thomas Lane in Liverpool 14. Where's that about? Allerton? Allerton, uh, No, it's not, uh, is it? 18, I don't it? know. It's on the way out, South Liverpool. 
And uh, this was a lady who was called Sylvia Sonia Seligson. She was born in 1938, and for a couple of years she dated Brian Epstein. Uh, her father was a, uh, was a, from a Jewish family, Russian Jewish family, who emigrated to Liverpool, and they ran what I would call a jeweller's gold store in Whitechapel, which was next door or three to where NEMS eventually became. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's what they did. Now, uh, what she did was she was interested in being an actress, and she introduced Brian to acting. So they took up a love of amateur dramatics. I'm sure they went to all the local theatres like the Royal Court and the Playhouse and places like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, sadly, they split up around 1956 because Brian had said, right, I'm going to try and be an actor. And she carried on trying to be an actress and she went under the name of Sonia Stevens. So that was different and interesting, so I bet you never knew that. No, I didn't, no. So you mentioned Rita Harris. Rita so Harris, I'll yeah. quickly, I'll quickly cover Rita Harris. Go on, then. So she was another one of Brian's girlfriends. He, he dated her from 1960 to 62, and she came from a place called Hoylake, which is in the Whittle. And uh, Brian Epstein was famous, famously knew Hoylake because he ran his very first furniture store, Clarendon's, in Hoylake himself. And there's lots of other Hoylake connections with Cynthia coming from there and um, and Jim McCartney's wife coming from there and a few other things. That I can remember going wonderful. into Clarendon as well because my mum and dad bought one of the, um, the three-piece suites from Clarendon's. Did they really? In Hoylake, yeah, just by the roundabout of did, Hoylake. Did they buy it off? I have no idea. Yeah. I can remember going in there myself. But oh, it's probably post. Who, who it yeah. was, I don't know. I must have yeah. been a kid. Uh, a kid, a little yeah. lad. Uh, oh, shucks. Oh, what a shame. How close. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Rita was, um, as it turns out, um, Rita worked for NEMS. But she worked in the branch, which was, we just mentioned it, near to Andre Bernard's, which is the hairdressers, yeah, in, great, in Great Charlotte Street. Yeah. And uh, she worked there, so um, they had a kind of, I suppose they call it a uh, platonic relationship after they got to talk and meet up at a Christmas party. And they went out for trips and so forth, so on one trip out, Brian revealed his homosexuality. So for some reason they split up uh, when Rita later felt she, he was getting too involved in being a pop band manager than her. Uh, and sadly, she's she died in 1989. Yeah. We'll never know the full it's story. Either that, either me or them, she probably said. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she put her foot down with a with a firm hand. <laughs> so that's it. Well, you know, we, we know Paul had girlfriends, John had girlfriends. Um, Stuart Sutcliffe had a few girlfriends before. He had Astrid Kircher, uh, local as well. There was a lady called Veronica, um, and she was one of the art student uh, mates. And uh, the thing he was famously good at was he would paint their portraits, his girlfriends. But um, when he finished with them, <laughs> he'd paint over the picture <coughs> with the next girl. Oh, <laughs> must have, that paint must have been very thick by the end, <laughs> of, it, the yeah. end of the night. Oh, there were some heavy pictures oh, there. Uh, so uh, another girl was, uh, wasn't a local girl, but she was an art student nonetheless, but she studied fashion design, much like Celia Mortimer. And she was a lady called Susan Williams, but she came from a sort of Cheshire place called Frodsham. And uh, she had a bed. She had a bedsit flat, much much like everybody else did, in the Princess Park area, and um, that's where they had a lot of wild parties. It was said, and uh, when Astrid came over to visit Stu, um, she stayed with them. Oh, Astrid stayed with her, and uh, they met up and had a couple of parties when she was around, and that was one of his mates. But I'll end with this one. Um, uh, Pete Best 
deservedly needs a mention. He does. He's a decent enough chap and a likeable guy from what we can tell. So he uh, he went out with a lot of girls locally, but he met up with one that he married. And this was a girl called Catherine Johnson. And she came from Eskdale Road in Walton. Excuse me, just about to hiccup. Um, of course, Pete couldn't help being, uh, being the handsome devil he was. Uh, there was a great outrage when he was replaced, of course. But he dated loads of girls. And he married a girl from Walton uh, who was a shop assistant called Catherine. Um, she was famously good at uh, twisting the dance. And what happened in the cavern was when certain records were played, she'd get up and dance and uh, got Pete to do the twist with her when they played twist music. So she became nicknamed Kathy Twister. Sure. Um, what happened was she really didn't go out with him for quite a spell because she, she thought that the whole band were big-headed. And, uh, but nevertheless, they, were, they had a date. They went bowling and they got to know each other. And um, what he does is he calls her Kathy or Kit as a as a nickname, and they did get married in 1963. And of course, 1962 was that very bad time when Pete got dropped from the band. But she got him through the dark times and helped her through, and they have a very happy relationship. They've been married ever since, and that's Catherine Johnson who lived in Estale Road, one of the girlfriends girl friends of the Beatles. You want the best, you expect the best, you deserve the best. So while you're waiting, here's the Beatle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. Right, now then, it's time for the answers to the Beatles Places trivia quiz. About time too. It's answer time. Yes. Right, are you ready for this now? Go ahead. You've got go ahead, your cup of tea and biscuit ready? <laughs> this is exciting now. <laughs> Right, here we go. Question number one was, and still is, and always will be, on the Wise album, there's a track called Savoy Truffle by George Harrison. It's about a box of good news chocolates, which you used to be able to get. Now, George took most of the lyrics from the names of all the chocolates. I think he made one or two up. Monticelli Mar and... uh, Ginger Sling and stuff like that. I don't know whether that was in the good news chocolates, I don't know, but there you go. Now, what I want to know is, who owns that box of chocolates that George got all the lyrics from. Somebody quite famous, Hmm. and his name is Eric Clapton. Ah! So George borrowed, or eating chocolates, owned by (laughs) uh, Eric Clapton. Yeah, finish with him him now, Eric, thanks. Let's write a song now. So, uh, yeah, Eric Eric Clapton's box of chocolates became Savoy Truffle. Very good. On the Sgt Pepper album, this is question uh, number two, the answer as well. On the Sgt Pepper album, there's a track called She's Leaving Home. It's about a girl who runs away from home, obviously, and it's based on a true story that was published in the Daily Mirror in 1967 on the 27th of February. Now, I wanted to know, what was the girl's real name? Uh, She was 17 years old, and her name was Melanie Coe. Never heard of that. Neither have I. I discovered that the other day. Uh, So Melanie Coe was the girl who's leaving home. Did, did did she come back? I don't know. Doesn't say. Uh, I hope so. She probably had a return ticket. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Her mum and dad were very upset. Yeah, I believe so. Aye. Right. There's, there's a song about that. There is. In question number three, the answer is this one. Right. In quest in West Kirby on the world, the Beatles played their first and only visit to the Beatles Club in McDonough Hall, in otherwise known as the Thistle Cafe. It's on Banks Road in West Kirby. It's now a restaurant and has been in numerous guises since then. Mm. 
Uh, and it's rumoured that John Lennon did not appear that night of the, the Beatles Club. It was Brian's idea that it should have a Beatles Club uh, and didn't work out very well because it was only, only one thing. So John Lennon didn't appear. What I want to know is who, it is rumoured, stood in for him that night. Do you know? It was Rory Storm ah. from Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. And also, do you know what his real name was, Rory Storm? Alan Caldwell. Excellent. Well done. <laughs> Have a biscuit. Thank you. Well done. That's it, really. Oh, great. So that's the answers to the quiz. Yeah. Eric Clapton, Melanie Coe and Rory Storm. OK. Right, no prizes, though. We must emphasise no prizes. No, very it's just, sorry. It's just the satisfaction of being a Beatle Big Ed. Aye. Yeah. If you got them all right, very, very clever indeed. Aye. So there, there we are. Thanks, Mark. Uh, that's the Beatle Trivia Quiz, wrapping up the show for now. So we're Super all, duper. We're all done. Yep. That's it. We're done and dusted. Hope you enjoyed it. That's it for another go at this podcasting lark. Uh, <laughs> we hope you pass the audition or pass the audition. Pass the audition. If you like it, get in touch. Uh, we'll do another one if you've paid enough money. Uh, and if you don't get in touch, we're going to do one anyway. So the, so that'll teach you. So <laughs> to a lot of you. <laughs> Anybody fancy a good read? Here's an advert. Buy a book. It's called Beetle Places. Or another one is called Beetle Family Trees, both uh, by Colin. Yeah. So uh, if you want a nice book, it's uh, got all sorts of Beatles trivia quiz in it. Buy the Beatles Places book. And if you want to know the background to all the Beatles, called Beetle Family Trees. Thank, thanks, Mark. Here's our fiver. Oh, thank you. A white one. <laughs> <laughs> So, right. um, there we go. We, we've got to go. It's time to toodle our pips, folks. And uh, But we'll be back soon enough. We'll have another uh, episode, edition, podcast thing, whatever it's called for your wonderment, uh, next time. And with all them features we've had, and we'll, we'll go into a little bit more depth and uh, and do some extra features and some extra extra fun stuff because we're just getting used to what we're doing. And uh, if it's any good, we'll keep it and you'll enjoy it and we'll do something a bit better each time. Ah, well, I think we'll talk about um, maybe this Yellow Submarine movie. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, we'll talk about the story behind it, the people who made it, the Beatles who didn't appear in it. And, yeah, yeah uh, there is, and there's a few. Uh, and there's a lot of local connections in that particular feature. Uh, and I'll, I'll be covering uh, a famous one, Mark. Um, you probably had your doubts about it, but aye. Paul's moped accident. Oh, is Paul dead? Has he got a moped? Has he? He had a, he had a moped. Oh. Um, and I'll be covering all that, you know, all that stuff about the famous myth of Paul being dead and uh, why the band all grew moustaches, oh. or as we call it. Muzzy. Muzzy. Uh, but everybody does, doesn't he? You always got to try growing a muzzy. Oh, I yeah, but it's usually like it's major bum fluff, isn't it, for the first couple of years. What I forgot to mention was your book, yeah. where, where it is available. It's on the Amazon website. Oh, yes, it isn't is, mate. It? Yeah, thanks so if you go much. on Amazon, yeah. you can find Beetle Places by Colin Gardner and also Beetle Family Trees by Colin Gardner. Oh, you're more than fair. Thanks very much. Excellent. Well done. Is that it now? So, yeah, all I'm saying is uh, that's it for so now. Do I get paid for this? Or, no, uh... no, it's, it's, it's total charitable work. Oh, yes. oh, all right, we, we appreciate your contribution. I'll have some of your biscuits, though. <laughs> I have to wet your lorry. So that's enough for me. And that's enough for me as well. We've had enough. Time to go to bed. Thanks a lot. See you Thank next you time. Thank you very much. Ta-da. Bye-bye.